Um, if you will, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Joshua chapter 6 is where we're at today. When I was little, we, uh, we had a Sunday school song that we sang that went like this. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Come on, Jericho. Give me a go. Fought the battle. Come on. Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Yeah, that's right. Good job, choir. I love that. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about this um, little children's Sunday school story that uh, we're going to tear apart and see if it means anything for us today, and of course, I think there's massive ramifications that it has for us in our big adult lives. We're just really a bunch of kids anyway who just have grown up bodies, that's all. So uh, it, it'll all, I think, make sense. Today is my 29th wedding anniversary. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Not quite a great applause, but it wasn't bad. Aren't those embarrassing when you do that? You know, everybody kind of goes, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, and uh, I uh, first dated Shelly when she was 16 years old, complete, absolute. In those days, by the way, when a woman looked good, you called her a fox. That's what you say. You say, she's a fox, dude, you know. And uh, she was a total fox. What? Well, she, of course she is. My gosh, how terrible of you to say that. <laughs> So we, at first date, I was, I'm three years older than her, so I was 19, 16, I know what you're thinking. And um, I came home after the first date and looked at my mom and I said, uh, this is absolutely true, I said, uh, that's the woman I'm going to marry. And my mom laughed at me and she said, come on, she's 16. And I said, okay, I know, whatever. And uh, we kind of dated through, you know, her, her high school and I was out of high school and there was all kinds of crazy, you know, things, what people thought about that and so um, she got to the end of her senior year, and we had basically planned a wedding for the following fall, which would have, she was 18 when we got married, and I was 21. And um, so I had these, uh, uh, you know, as any man does, uh, he, I have these unbelievable, grandiose plans to uh, give her this ring. And all these guys are looking at me, that, you know, so many of you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have these plans. These, they involve like flowers and, and, and angels singing and, and, and woods and paths and just this romantic, unbelievable, you know, you start talking in that language and you're thinking about these unbelievable plans that you have to do this, you know, and guys aren't good follow-throughers. They have good plans many times, but... They're procrastinators. So many times when it gets down to the day of the plan, the plan didn't work too well for me that day. Okay, I'm not speaking for many of you guys. I know that many of you guys are like way out there, long shot, home run ball hitter, romantic guys. Okay, great. I'm not one. We get to the day I knew I had to give the ring. I want you to know that what I'm going to tell you next, I have paid for for the last 29 years of my life. I don't know what to do. I'm scrambling. I don't know, have any idea. I know I got to do something. I don't know why I did this. And you can feel free to tease me about it and email about it and blog about it and do whatever you want about it. But I took the ring in a box and I put it in a sweat sock. 
Oh my gosh. A white sweat sock. And I, even to this day, don't know why I did that. It was a clean one, just to let you know. And I, we went out and I somehow put it in a box and I wrapped up the box. I don't know if I was thinking they'll tear apart little things. You know, she gets on the sweat sock and she'll think it's horrible or something. It's something smelly and I wanted to surprise her. And so sure enough, she feels it all back. And it was a great and glorious day. My plans for the day didn't work out. The angels didn't show up the day of the sweat sock. There were no, I did have flowers, that was decent, I made up for that, but my plans didn't work out for that day, and ever since then, I have been teased greatly by my four daughters uh, about this terrible, unromantic thing that I've done, and uh, so I just kind of have to receive it, but have you ever had these days where your plans, or situations in your life, where your plans, your plans, The plan that you had, for whatever reason, mine in the case of procrastination, for whatever reason, your plan didn't work out. Did you you know that my plans, my plans for my children, every one of them, didn't work out? The plan that I've had exactly for my marriage and for uh, all the things in my marriage, much of that plan didn't work out. You ever had this happen before? You ever go to some place with your mind's eye of how this place was going to be and you got there and you were nothing but disappointed? The plans that you had made in your mind, it just didn't work out. Right? And that is what I want you to hold in check or kind of keep in your mind here when we go to the Scripture because look there in, jo- in Joshua chapter 6. When it says, this was, remember, we talked about five last week where the Lord tells Joshua that he's the commander of the Lord's army. He kind of gets Joshua straight. They're standing at the, they had already crossed the, uh, the river. They are on the other side. They are now looking at their, face big, their first big obstacle, and now uh, God is going to have Joshua actually do battle on the walls in the city of Jericho, which, by the way, is not the city that everybody thinks. I thought it was this giant city. It's on 8.5 acres, this city. So it's a fairly small city, but it had big, it was a fortress. It, 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 was, it, was, a, it was a place that every, every military commander knew that if they were going to take this land, they had to take Jericho simply because if you bypassed it, then you'd have what they call, in military terms, an enemy at your rear, and you never want to have that when you're a military force. So they had to attack and take care of and wipe out Jericho, and that's a whole other sermon, but it says this. Now Jericho, in verse, or chapter 6, verse 1, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. They knew what was going on, the people of Jericho. And then the Lord said to Joshua in verse 2, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. And then the Lord begins to unfold a plan for how he's going to do this. Hmm. Look what he says. In verse 3 it says, March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times 
with the priests blowing the trumpets. Verse five, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets and have all the people give a loud shout. I don't know what they shouted. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. And so Joshua, and it goes on to say that Joshua does this. He does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. And what I want to talk a little bit about today is something that I struggle with greatly in the nooks and crannies and in the big parts and small parts and medium parts of my life. And it's this first point that I want to share with you today, which is this. How do we talk about and how do we live living with the plans of God? It was a crazy and insane plan that the Lord had unlocked for Joshua. Think about it. It's not a plan that he would have come up with or any human being would have come up with. It's crazy to think of the plan that he wanted to unfold. No man would have thought about it. I want you to march around the city once for six days and, on the, and take seven priests and bear seven trumpets. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. Seven, 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 seven. We're getting seven, which is the... Biblical, and, and you know, a lot of the scholars say that seven is the perfect number that the Lord created in seven days. The priests will blow their trumpets when they make one long blast, have all the people shout, and the walls will come down. And any decent military commander would tell you that before any great battle, he has usually a council of war. And this opportunity that he gathers his military leaders around, you know, and they come up with a war plan together. And if this had happened, you could see that in this instance, one of the advisors might look at Joshua and say something like this, well, let's just build these big giant ramps to get into the city. Um, that's what we could do. Another might say, well, let's just wait them out and starve them out. And you could have all these kind of plans. And yet none of this, um, none of this seems to happen. No, this Joshua kind of had in, in real way in verse five, he had already had his council of war and his council of war was his time with the Lord. His council of war was his time with the Lord. That was his council of war. The Lord said, I'm the commander. I'm the strength giver. I'm the victor. This is the council that I'm giving you. Go now and do this. Here's how I want you to do it. Now follow along with me now because this is important. What I find very intriguing about this piece is the Lord unfolds this plan for him involving six days and sevens and sevens and all these, these numbers is how, now follow this now, how at home God, Joshua is with what God's doing. You ever gone back to mama's house and smelled your favorite dish that mama's making? I miss that. My mom, as many of you know, are gone. And, but right now, we have, the do- we have one of our daughters back, Ashley, for the weekend. And I think about the smells of our home, and I think about the smells and the times that I can wa- I wa- walk into my house, and I love being home. I'm at home. I feel comfortable. And get in my gym shorts and just hang, you know? Just, I'm there. I'm reading the paper, and I'm just, my, it's, I'm, I'm just comfortable there. That's what Joshua was with the Lord. 
with this great, think about this now, the crazy plan of God. Six times. By the way, do you think that by any chance that when the people were walking around the city six times, that by the second day, the people on top of the you know, wall were going, what are, you, what, what are you dudes doing down there? Can you imagine the taunts and the craziness that would have taken place that from the top of the, you know, you guys have come and you're a bunch of warriors. Joshua later tells, the, he actually tells the people, when, you go, when, when we walk around the city, I don't want you to say a word. I want you to just zip your mouth. By some historians' accounts, there, was, there could have been millions of people here. I've never been able to get four people to be quiet, let alone that many. But they're going to march around for six days. Can you imagine the taunting and the craziness? Can you imagine? I would allow, and, and maybe one day we'll get a chance. What did, the, what did the night campfire entail, Joshua, after the third night? Because guess what? It's a difficult thing running a church because you've got a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And I'm positive that there, were, there was quite a complaint line for Joshua. Dude, what are we doing? Okay, listen, we got to do this for six days. Just one time every six, for the six days. And then on the seventh day, we'll do it seven times. And then these trumpets will go and you guys are going to yell something. Come on. Right? But for some reason... Joshua seems very content to live. He contents to live within God's plans. He's contented. He's, and there's a lot of that as a result because he's, he's been, been places with the Lord. Do you get what I just said? He's contented and he's willing to live because he's, he's been with, to places with the Lord. He's experienced the Lord's goodness and he's experienced the Lord's Wrath. He's experienced all these things about the Lord, his sufficiency and his power. He's experienced these things. So he's content with these, almost these crazy plans. Now follow. Because in the midst of this massive confusion, he listens to what I call his marching orders, and then he marches. If you have your ask yourself the question, what are my marching orders, Lord? It's kind of a duty thing to think about, isn't it? It's not necessarily a Presbyterian thought. What are my orders, Lord? What are my marching orders? What, what are you telling your servant to do? It's a good question. And I would guarantee you that the Holy Spirit has a bunch of different answers for a lot of different people in this room. How could I be content with your plans, Lord, with how it relates to my marriage or my life or my children or my future? How could I be like Joshua and actually live with a very different plan that maybe, and it's kind of insane, it may be a little crazy, how could I live with that? How could you give me a, a spirit of comfort just to hang in there and trust you in this? Think about it for a minute. He had no idea why God was doing what he was doing. Now follow this because this is, this is how we function. He has no idea why God is doing what he's doing. He doesn't, he doesn't actually have to have that kind of understanding and clarity. He's actually okay with not knowing what God is doing and why he's doing it. Did you get that? That's what I mean by being content and living, being able to live within God's plans. He's, he's actually content with not knowing. So why do we spend so much time on having to know? He's okay with not knowing. 
been reading this book this last week. I love it. It's uh, called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And at the second chapter, he, he, uh, he prays this prayer before you read this chapter. Listen how beautiful this is. It says, it says this, Lord, how great is our dilemma. In thy presence, silence best becomes us, but love inflames our hearts and constrains us to speak. Were we to hold our peace, the stones would cry out. Yet if we speak, what shall we say? Teach us to know that we cannot know. For the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Let faith support us where reason fails, and we shall think because we believe, not in order that we may believe. Isn't that great? And that's what Joshua was doing. He was believing, and God was bringing thinking later. He didn't have to get it all straight like our American evangelicalism has to gather and get. I got to get it all right. I got to count the cost. I got to get all my questions answered. I got to do all this. It's got to be clear. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be right down the line, and then I can make a decision to do it. That wasn't there. I've talked with you many times, and I've challenged you many times on this concept. Does obedience precede feeling or feeling precede obedience? Obedience always precedes, usually, the majority of cases, precedes feeling. And by the way, just to let you know in your Christian life, almost all of the clarity that so many of us want, almost all of the understanding that we want about our pain usually happens post-Jericho. Do you follow what I just said? After the walls have come down, after the battle has been won by the Lord, you may get, I may get, some measure of clarity that I want. But many times, even in that, God sees it sufficient to not give me even that. Why? Because he's doing something. He's doing something with me far greater than what I could ever even imagine. And that's one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about today because I think many times as I challenge you, I take you to this point and we need to go a little further today. And here's what it is. And Joshua make, gives us an example of it. You know why he was able to do this? Do you know why he was able to trust? Do you know why he was able to jump in and say, I'm going to live with God's plan? Because he's trusting, he understands God differently than the way I do. And how he understands God is this. I know this, that I can trust in the wisdom of God. I can trust in the wisdom of God. Remember, not the wisdom of me. The idea of God as infinitely, thank you, Kate, infinitely wise is at the root of all truth. One writer said it is this, it is a datum, D-A-T-U-M. Which basically means a single piece of information or a fact. It is a datum of belief necessary to the soundness of all other beliefs about God. 
In other words, it is one single thing that we have to believe and know and settle in our minds, the all-infinite, uncompromising, unbounded wisdom of God. Let me go further. God's wisdom is infinite. It is unlimited. It is unmeasurable. It is unbounded. It is endless. Our wisdom is very, very small. It doesn't have any measure whatsoever of being unmeasurable. Wisdom is the ability to devise, listen to this, this is great. Wisdom is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the beginning so there is no need to guess or conjecture. Do you get that? So God sees the timeline. He sees it from the end to the beginning. He doesn't have to guess. He knows it. It's absolutely devised perfectly. God's wisdom sees everything in focus. There's nothing out of focus. Especially think about your life now. Think about the troubles that you've been in. He sees all that with perfect, perfect, better than 2020 vision. He sees it in focused, each in proper relation to all, and is able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. Even though many of, of us would look at and say, no, God, it's flawful, and it's not precise. I know that's not a word, by the way. It's filled with flaws, and it's definitely not precise. In other words, do you really know what you're doing? And one other writer said this, not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not ever be imagined. Did you hear that? Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could never be imagined. That's the God that was in front of Joshua, and that's the same God that's in front of you, sister, and of you, brother, and of me. That's the all-wise, all-knowing God that knows. That's the God who is, the God we serve. So the question before we get to our second point is this. When it doesn't go your way and when it doesn't go mine, what to do? What to do? Is it not going your way right now? Maybe God wants it to go another way. By the way, did you know that God has one motive in his plans for you? for your family, for our community. And you know what the motive is? It's his glory. It's all about his glory. And many times the only way that he knows that he can get people like you and I to glorify him is by taking us through terrible deserts, horrible wildernesses. He wants glory. He's a glory hound. He deserves every bit of it. Are you at home with God's plans for you? Are you comfortable 
with God's ways in your life? Are you contented? Do you think that God, the way that he's brought you to this point on this day in history, has been wise in how he's handled you? Do you? Do you believe in his wisdom? Do you believe he's wise? Do you believe that he's actually wise even though you could sit there today and have doubts and questions and wonder about it? Do you think that in God's wisdom, he could actually say, that's awesome? Do you think that? Do you think our God is that smart? For all you smart people out there, do you think God's smart? Do you think Jesus was smart? It's kind of a crazy question, isn't it? Or was Jesus, did Jesus kind of walk around the Holy Land in a bathrobe and, you know, kind of bless people? One writer said that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. Well, of course he was. He was God. He's all wise. So, just before I go on to the second point, do you trust him? Do you see him as all wise? Are you comfortable with his plans right now? I was telling somebody, a group of folks, we were at a retreat this weekend. And I told them this story. Um, I had a bad Wednesday. I hated it. I won't tell you the details, but I'll just tell you that I got to my Wednesday night and just had a little bit of a knockdown, throwdown with my, my Lord, you know, just having a struggle and woke up the next morning trying to figure this all out. I can figure it out. This is what the problem is. Right? Just right down the line. So I, I get to the office. I'm reading the Word. Actually, I'm reading this to prepare for you guys, and I totally kind of, as I'm reading and studying, I'm totally getting this conviction. Well, do you actually believe your own theology? And if you believe it, are you willing to put it into practice, like right now in your life, like in real time, <laughs> versus giving a sermon about it? Because my real theology would be this. The things that I went through very difficultly on, on Wednesday, I would actually believe that God was all wise to put those in my life, and I can trust him. And I can say that it didn't go my way, and I, and I could actually be comfortable with the fact that it didn't go my way, because whatever took place there, either God, if he didn't actually intentionally make it happen, he permitted it to happen. He allowed it to happen, and so I'm submitting to that. It's very difficult to do in real time, by the way much easier to preach about it. Much easier for us to talk to our friends about it, but difficult when we get out on the, on, the, on the front lines of our lives, right? And I encourage you, I encourage you, because guess what? My Thursday, as a result of that, Wednesday, was unbelievable. I was able to live and just say, Lord, it can be crazy. You're my Lord. You, you've got it. You're wise. You're even wise about Joel's life. Friday had another weird day, and so I'm in it, right? I'm in it, just like you are. Do you trust the one who sees everything in focus, who sees everything from end, from the end, from the beginning? Let me finish by, by giving you this real quick today. What does it mean to be soldiering in God's kingdom? Joshua was a soldier, and he was a warrior for God's causes. 
His cause in this instance was Jericho. And before the battle even begins, God, in verse 2, does something very interesting for Joshua. And in verse 2, he says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And you can imagine that Joshua would look and go, Jericho is not in my hands. Jericho is a big city, 8.5 acres. What was the God asking Joshua to do? Help me. What was God asking Joshua to do? What do you think? Thought? What's that? Trust him, all right? How about this? See, see with the eyes of faith. Envision who I am and what I'm gonna do because I am your only deliverer. And that's what he wants. He was assuring Joshua of ultimate triumph and victory. And I want you to know something, and I need to reassure you of this and encourage you with this. All through the New Testament, we are assured of our triumph over sin and Satan. And trust me, friends, we all have our Jerichos here. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But all through the New Testament, we are assured of our triumph over sin and Satan. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Yes, we do have our Jerichos. Jesus, our deliverer, stands here and says, see it, have faith. I've delivered you from the power of sin and Satan. It's important for many of you young men to hear me preach that message over your heart today and over your head, over your whole body, over yourself and over your life. It's important for you to hear that. We all have our Jerichos. We all have our strongholds and our fortresses with high walls. And let me ask you a question today. Does God still knock walls down? Does he? I'd love to hear about more walls being broken down rather than us being broken walls. I'd love to hear more victory stories. Does God still knock down walls for many of us? It could be addiction. Our Jerichos could be drugs, pornography, sex, I mean... Our abusive past could stand over us like a giant dark city. For many of us in here in this room, more than we would want to admit, many of us, our Jericho is a big word called indifference. Who in the world cares? And it looms over our marriages. It looms over our lives, dark and foreboding, and it's there. For many of us, John Eldridge says that there's three kinds of people that are dead, Addicted or alive and thirsty? Which one am I? I kind of think that many times my weeks seem to go between the three. Does God still knock down walls? Do you actually believe that if you 
face or you're facing issues in your marriage or your issues with addiction or your issues with your future. Just fill in the blank. I don't need to give you the issues. Do you actually believe that the Lord, the Lord, the Lord sovereign is your deliverer? Do you actually believe that he's the one who could knock down those walls? Regardless of the nature of our Jericho, we must realize that victory always comes through God's plan. And some of us feel like we've been marching around that Jericho city for a long, long time. And some of us feel that some of the walls that we face have been taunting, and the people on those walls have been taunting us all of our lives. Does God still knock down walls? Would you be willing to get on your knees and allow him to start the work? Would I? Are you willing to go do battle for your own heart? Some of you men, some of you ladies, or have you given up? Are you willing to march? Have you heard from the Lord and you trust in your deliverer and his strength? You're going you're to do battle. You're going to enter into the fray. Are you willing to go do battle for somebody else's heart? Your wife's heart. Your husband's heart. Your children's heart. Do you see yourself as a warrior? Will you fight with the Lord's strength? Let me leave you with this. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Think about that. Thank you, Father, so much for your word. Thank you for our friend Joshua. Thank you, Lord, even we would even be able to stand before you today as a community and thank you for the Jerichos that you have placed on this roadmap of our lives. Many of us have them. Many of us have multiple and just unbelievable big-time obstacles in our life that feel very foreboding and really we struggle terribly and we need a deliverer, and, and many of us who are in Christ, we, we, we get off track because we kind of step into that place for our own selves. And so today we've come, and we've, we're on our knees, and we're confessing our need for you. We confess, Lord, that we don't even have the weapons to even do any of this battle without the weapons that you've given us. We can't even do this without your strength. Some of us here today have walked into this place limping and feel really messed up, and we need you, Lord. Some of us here have given up the fight. We've just raised the white flag on our lives, and we're thinking, we actually believe we're hopeless. Lord, speak, do a work inside those lives this morning because you are the God of hope, and you're our only hope. And so we confess that to you this morning. We pray that this word, the word that you've, we've spoken today would, would be true. It would pierce to the center. And you would do a tremendous thing with it.
We thank you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.